where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Hello and welcome back to The Messy Intersection. I am your host, Diana Rice, and I am a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and a mom of two. And I have a really fun episode in store for you all today. I have never tried this episode format before, but it is basically going to be a call-in show where uh, many of my colleagues have left me voicemails that I'm going to play for you about how they do and don't use the division of responsibility in feeding their own kids. But before we dive into that, I want to tell you about my latest resource, which is a newsletter that I'm calling The Anti-Diet Parent. You can find a link to sign up for this in today's show notes or linked on any of my social media profiles. I'm really excited about this, one, because I do strongly identify as a writer. I went to school for journalism before I later decided that what I really wanted to focus on was family feeding and family health. So I went back to school to become a dietitian as well. And every time I hit the keyboard, whether it's responding to a post in my Facebook group or writing a caption for my social media posts, I tend to go on and on and I bump up against the character limit. Um, But really, there is just so much nuance in the kind of stuff that we talk about in anti-diet parenting and feeding our kids well and helping them have a healthy relationship with food. There's a lot of nuance and I can't fit it all in a, a short caption. I'm excited to have a platform where I don't have a character limit. Uh, I am conscious of not going on and on and on, (laughs) but I can really dive deep into the topics that I want to share with you all. The newsletter is twice monthly, only two emails a month. I know that would be very important to me to hear if I were thinking about signing up for an email resource because I do get a lot of emails myself. So two emails a month with one article on an anti-diet parenting topic. And then I'm also using the space to help connect you with other anti-diet resources from around the web. So I hope you'll check that out. My first newsletter is also going to be linked in today's show notes, and it is about the distinction between getting kids to eat vegetables and creating an environment in which they feel comfortable enough to eat vegetables if they so choose. A lot of nuance there. And then my newsletter coming out next week is going to be on a really interesting topic, which is should we be using things like carrots help you see fiber helps you poop, things like that, to encourage kids to eat vegetables. So I hope you'll check that out. Okay, on to today's topic of how feeding professionals do and don't use the division of responsibility in feeding their own kids. You may hear the acronym DOR. If any of the voicemails use DOR, they're talking about division of responsibility. And as a reminder, what the division of responsibility even is, is a feeding principle developed by a dietitian and family therapist named Ellen Satter that explains that there are five roles in feeding, and two of them belong to the kids, and three of them belong to the adults. The two that belong to the kids are whether to eat the food at all, and if so, how much, And the three that belong to the adults are where the food is served, when the food is served, and what food is served in the first place. Now, in my home, and I'm pretty sure with everybody whose voicemails you are about to hear, none of us really take any flexibility with the kids' roles, the whether and how much. If you've been listening to this podcast, you are probably aware that that comes across as pressure and 
I am not aware of, of any reason why not upholding those roles wouldn't be in the best interest of the kids. So we're not really going to touch on that today. But what we are exploring is the three parent roles. So I'll let you know how this works in my house. I have been pretty informed about the division of responsibility since before my kids were born. Uh, as, as a dietitian interested in family health, it came up in my studies. Uh, so I knew I would use it with my kids. And when my kids were very young, I didn't even realize probably that I could take any liberties with it. So my kids are now four and six. But when they were very young, I would say that I adhered to the division of responsibility pretty strictly. And I think that there was a benefit in that. Uh, I think that it really helped set some boundaries in our home. But I also recall a lot of episodes of anxiety when I felt like I needed to stand my ground in, um, you know, if my kid asked for something that wasn't on the menu, the adult's role is to say, you know, no, this is what we're having. You don't have to eat it. And I, I really remember, you know, like my heart rate increasing, trying to stand my ground with like my three-year-old. And I don't know if that's ideal. I do think it helped us set some boundaries, but it's also kind of a weird thing to come up in talking to a three-year-old. I mean, I didn't, I didn't let my kids see any of it, but that, you know, feeding my kids gave me a lot of anxiety. I mean, that's exactly what this whole podcast is about, you know, trying to help you not have anxiety for feeding your kids. So that is what it is. I don't know uh, if there's an answer in there, but I, I will say that in the very beginning of feeding my kids, I do think that it was beneficial. Now for me in my life, my kids kind of entering older toddlerhood really timed up with the beginning of the pandemic. My youngest was two and a half when the pandemic started. My oldest was four and a half. And so I can't really separate when I stopped fully relying on the division of responsibility and when everything was just out the window because parenting was insane two years ago and remains pretty insane today. So uh, when the pandemic started and my kids were home with me full time and I still had work obligations, there was a lot of, hey, sure, you want a snack? Just go watch it in front of the TV as long as I can get this one thing done. And like that was what I needed to do to get through at the time. But it also kind of smudged some of those boundaries that we had set prior to the pandemic onsetting. And we maintain some of those habits today. Um, snacking in front of the TV, kids asking for a snack when it's not snack time, and me saying yes. Um, there are other parts of DOR that we pretty firmly adhere to still. I pretty much set the menu for all the meals of the day, and we do have a regular breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, dessert schedule. My kids are back in school now, so a lot of their feeding happens in the school environment that, you know, that kind of naturally creates some structure for them. On the weekends, uh, we do have all five of those meals that I mentioned, but, you know, I don't necessarily go, oh, it's 12 o'clock, we need to eat lunch. We kind of base it on what we're doing. I'm probably fairly liberal with when and what the snack is. And if we've already had a snack and a kid asks me for another snack or something specific for snack, I will most likely grant it. Pretty much the only reason that I don't grant a snack request is if we are about to have dinner. And I know all of you struggle with this as well. It's like 
20 minutes to dinner and mom, I'm hungry, mom this, mom that. And you're like, no, I don't want them to eat goldfish right now. They won't be hungry for the meal I've cooked. I so identify with that. Uh, I don't know what it is. I have been beating this drum about, yes, I know you're hungry. We're about to have dinner for several years now. And I still run into this every night. So generally, that's the only time I would decline a snack request. But if it's feasible. I ask my kids to go sit at the table and I will put out some carrots and ranch, or if there is one element of the meal that is ready to eat, I'll put that out if possible. Some other things that I do that aren't necessarily in line with DOR is sometimes serving the kids different foods, depending on what I know they are going to like, like different, you know, one gets a piece of toast for breakfast and one gets a waffle. Um, Sometimes on the weekends, I know one of my kids really does not enjoy eating first thing in the morning. And so I'll serve the other kid as soon as she wakes up. But the the one who is not a breakfast person, I'll give her her breakfast a little bit later on. And if the younger one who did already eat breakfast says, hey, how come she's getting breakfast? I want that too. I'll go ahead and give it to both of them. Now I know that dinner is kind of the the big item here. Like how can I get my kids to eat the dinner that I made without becoming a short order cook. I will say that in my house, um, one, my kids are not especially picky, although sometimes when I think about it, like they don't eat everything under the sun. Like they eat the things that are most familiar to them. And so the dinners that I make are the foods that are the most familiar to them. And part of this is by design is that I just keep repeating the same meals that work for my family. And pretty much the kids don't complain about it, but they don't always eat it either. Sometimes it's something that I know that they generally accept and they'll only take a few bites. And, you know, I, like I'm saying, uphold the kids portion of DOR and don't pressure them to eat anything more. And I don't find that they're generally asking for more food. So that indicates to me that they're not actually that hungry. There are several meals where I know that one or both of my kids is not going to especially enjoy what we're having. One example of that is tacos. Whenever we have tacos, I make one kid rolled up soft tacos with chicken and sour cream inside. And I make the other kid a quesadilla, even though my husband and I are having like actual tacos. It doesn't feel like that much more work for me in that instance. And also I plan tacos for a night where I have a little bit more time. Some of our other meals are literally like heat and eat. Another example is how I do shrimp in my house. I have an Instagram post about this. I've been serving shrimp for years. Neither of my kids will touch it. DOR would tell us that they would come around to it eventually. And I have not found that to be the case, but my husband and I still like shrimp. So I make it about twice a month. And when I make it, I make sure to put another protein on the table that I know my kids do like. Sometimes it is a box of sliced turkey. It's as easy as that. Like I'm not going to bend over backwards making them something else, but I'm also not going to say that they can just have you know, the, the bread and the vegetable. Another thing we do a little differently in my house is dessert. Dior doesn't require that you serve dessert with a meal, but it also suggests the strategy of serving one portion of dessert with a meal to kind of neutralize the power of it. Now that is still a strategy that I would recommend to a family if desserts were becoming a power struggle. I've been at this a long time. Desserts aren't a big power struggle in my house, even though my kids definitely 
enjoy dessert and we do have it every night. We choose to have it after dinner and that kind of evolved from wanting to have popsicles on the back porch or wanting to make ice cream sundaes and do things that are a little bit more logistically not possible if you are serving the dessert with the meal. So don't take away from this that the way that I do it is any better. It's just the way that fits for my family. Also with dessert, I generally let my kids pick whatever it's going to be. So we'll either walk into the pantry and pick from the available cookies and candy that we have, and the kids might choose something different from each other. Or often, if I've purchased something like a new kind of popsicle, I will suggest that and they get excited about it, and then we have that. But so it's just not always me picking exactly what we're going to have. And I think that that is another really important element of this conversation is that parents choose the what all the time. And it's usually the mom, right? We don't talk about that that much. Deciding what's on the menu multiple meals a day is a big burden, especially if you don't know whether or not your kids are going to accept it. And if they're not going to accept it, now you have to bear the brunt of, oh, I didn't want that and hold your ground and feel some of that anxiety that I was talking about before of you don't have to eat it, but like, oh my gosh, I really hope that they eat it. (laughs) So I think that the part about letting my kids pick what dessert is going to be evolved from me just really not having the spoons to write a different dessert menu every night. (laughs) Uh, Most dessert foods that we have are shelf stable. And since I don't have to prepare anything. Basically, it's just opening a box of cookies or pulling a popsicle out of the freezer. I am totally fine with them um, voicing what they want for that part of the meal. It does get a little sticky when one kid wants one thing and the other kid says she wants another thing, but then she really wants what the first kid picked. So we have set some boundaries about that of like, basically, you can have something different from your sister, uh, but you know, you, you get what you chose. Anyway, I hope that all makes sense. Like I've said already, I am not tossing DOR out the window. I probably rely on it at least 75% of the time in my own home, but there are definitely places where I am flexible with it. And that is one for my own sanity of not having to always pick all the foods all the time and prepare all the foods all the time. And partly for my kids' relationship with food, I want them to know that they can express they want a certain food and that request will be granted in the context of our feeding schedule throughout the day. So a lot of times I am doing the thing where I say, I hear you saying you want Cheez-Its, we're going to have that at snack, that's going to be in half an hour. And that's not necessarily to get them to fall in line with my feeding schedule, but because we're at the playground or something like that, you know. So that's how I do it in my home. Uh, But how I feed my kids is not the be all and end all of child feeding. I think it is very important to recognize that my house is food secure. If something gets wasted, we, we have enough. Also, my kids are not neurodivergent to my knowledge. I've been learning a lot about feeding neurodivergent kids. So this works for us, but just because it works for us doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. Now we're going to hear how it works for some other feeding professionals, and I hope you'll gather some insight from that too. 
So first up, we have Yafi Lovova. Yafi is a mom of three boys, and she is the owner of Baby Bloom Nutrition. You might remember her as the guest on the episode of this show about baby led weaning versus puree feeding. And I always love Yafi's perspective, so let's take a listen. Hi, this is Yafi with Baby Bloom Nutrition and Toddler Test Kitchen. I love counseling in Division of Responsibility because it sets up great boundaries on the parent's side and great opportunities for autonomy on the kid's side, but it does have its downsides. At our house, I know for sure when one of my kids is having a growth spurt, he needs a second dinner. Sometimes that comes right before our usual dinner, and sometimes that comes right after. He will get full, and then 15 minutes after dinner, he will get hungry and eat an entire adult serving, possibly like bigger than I would eat. For sure. And division of responsibility doesn't give me the flexibility to address that as a parent. It has its rigid rules and you stick to the rules. Sometimes we as as parents need to use our intuition. We need to trust our bodies, which includes trusting our gut instinct. And that, that's important in the feeding relationship. And we need to encourage a feeding relationship that leaves room for that flexibility. I love that. We need to encourage a feeding relationship that leaves room for flexibility. This is also something that I discussed with Amy Severson in the episode about the book, How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, one of the three principles that the authors of that, that, the authors of that book cover is having structure with flexibility. Okay, next up is Kristen Parks. She is a dietitian and IBCLC who has two kids ages five and two. Hi, my name is Kristen. I have two boys who are five and two. Since I am a dietitian, I knew about the division of responsibility prior to having kids and I implemented it with my kids from the get-go. I am the least picky in a family of pretty picky eaters, so I saw a lot of pressure put on me and my siblings to try new foods. Uh, finish our plates, eat veggies to get dessert, kind of all that stuff. Um, I didn't like how that felt as a kid, so I knew that I wanted to do something different with my kids. I really like the basic ideas of the division of responsibility, but with all things related to food and parenting and everything, I think it's really easy to get focused on the rules and kind of miss the big picture. In my family, we use it to keep my stress levels down, I decide what we're having for the meal, keeping in mind my kids' preferences, and then I'm done. I don't have to micromanage what they eat. I get to focus on hanging out with my family instead of counting bites or only talking about the food, which is kind of how meals went when I was a kid. Um, I also really like the idea of always serving a safe or preferred food. As a picky eater myself, I get that if there's no food that I like at a meal, no matter how hungry I am, I may not eat which usually means that I will end up being quite cranky and hard to deal with, and I am a grown adult, so I definitely don't want to put my kids through that. Um, I definitely don't follow everything exactly as it's written. I'm pretty anti-food rules in general. Um, some examples of this are that we usually do leftovers at lunch. One of my kids hates the idea of leftovers, so I generally give him the choice of whatever our leftover options are or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, I know that I can make the sandwich while I'm heating up the other leftovers, and we're already all eating different foods anyway, so it's not that big of a deal to me. Another example um, is when I give my five-year-old a bagel. I usually give my two-year-old frozen waffles. They both go in the toaster, so my prep is basically the same, but I know that my two-year-old has issues biting and chewing bagels, 
It's something that we're working on, but not at breakfast when I'm trying to get my five-year-old to school. I think overall that the division of responsibility is a really great foundation, but with everything kid-related, you really need to make it work for your family. I love that part about the bagels and the waffles because I basically do the exact same thing. Next, we'll hear from Lauren Sharifi, who is a dietitian and the owner of Lauren Sharifi Nutrition, and she has three kids. Hi, Diana. This is Lauren Sharifi calling for your DOR call-in. So to answer some of the questions, I'd say the division of responsibility and feeding is overall a very helpful framework, um, and it's really been a great way to kind of build a like trusting feeding relationship um, in our family and just kind of help organize um, feeding. Um, and the way we use the division responsibility in feeding in our family is um, basically a great way to kind of structure eating and kind of build those healthy eating behaviors in our kids, you know, teaching them that it's important to eat consistently throughout the day, not go too long between eating periods. Um, and, you know, again, offering that variety of foods, giving them opportunities to try and expose them to different things. And also, I think one of the biggest things has been um, really taking that pressure off, like letting the kids be in charge of how much and what they're going to eat um, and really listening to, to their bodies. And I think that's been probably the best thing that's kind of come from the division responsibility feeding. Um, things we don't do or I just kind of consider more our flexibility with the division of responsibility of feeding, I found, especially with my oldest son, who's almost six, um, but, you know, really younger toddlers, I think it's really helpful to kind of be more strict, rigid to things. But as our kids get older, having some flexibility, I think, is really important, especially with the what um, the older my kids are getting, you know, getting them more involved in the what and having their input in what you know, might be having for dinner or a side with their lunch or dinner um, and same like snack time, really like, you know, having them within reason, choosing their own snacks and learning how to, to feed themselves based on what they are craving in the moment. I think we are noticing a trend here with myself and other dietitians finding DOR very useful when kids are very young. Let's see what the rest of the people I asked have to say. Next, we'll hear from Terry Nye, who is a dietitian and the owner of Tiny Bites Nutrition. And her kids are a little bit older. Let's hear what she has to say. Hi, my name's Terry Nye. I'm a registered dietitian working up in Ontario, Canada. And I'm a mom to three kids who are now 11, 9, and 7. I've been informed and uh, working with the Division of Responsibility um, throughout my whole career as a dietitian, so a little over 14 years now. And it was a very, very handy tool to have when I started feeding my own kids 11 years ago. We implemented a Division of Responsibility right from the beginning, from starting solids up through toddlerhood and now as their older kids. Um, I found it was a very, very helpful um, knowledge set to come from and tool to have with kids, really that clear division of responsibility, who's responsible for what definitely helped. Um, I find now as they're a little bit older, we're starting to loosen up. And uh, for an example, at breakfast time, my kids always get their own breakfast. Um, it's a busy morning with three kids, everyone getting out the door. Typically, it's something really simple that they've chosen, cereal and toast. So maybe not 
technically following division of responsibilities. Um, however, it is what's working for our family. And because we have such a strong foundation of um, following that division of responsibility, I find this really works well for us at this age and stage. And I look forward to experiencing as they move into adolescence what that might look like for our family. Hi, it's Terry Nye calling back again um, because I just wanted to add one more thing that I forgot to mention uh, in my first message. So one of the other things I really love about Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility that I found was really highlighted at a training that I went to in 2019 was the emphasis um, on removing the morality around food and food being good enough. So there was a really big emphasis placed on making sure um, that parents are taking that responsibility of where and when. So having that structured meal time and most importantly, taking time to sit down and share food as a family, no matter what that meal might look like, that all food is good enough and a valuable enough to make sure you sit down and have family time with food. So that might be takeout, it might be bowls of cereal for dinner, it might be whatever random things you can scrounge in the fridge, or it might be a nice Sunday night dinner, but that all food is just as valuable and just as worthy of a family meal. And that really spoke to me and I really loved that piece of it. Love that, Terry. I maybe should have mentioned that I used my actual private practice phone number to have these professionals call and my inbox had a two minute limit. So a few of these will be pieced together from the professionals calling back to add more thoughts. Uh, but I love what Terry said there. Uh, there is this weird misconception, uh, probably not all that weird when you realize that it originates in diet culture, but there's a misconception with division of responsibility that it is the way to get your kids to eat the colorful fruits and veggies and all that stuff. And I have taken Ellen Satter's pediatric training course and Satter and the uh, whole Ellen Satter Institute really emphasize that this is not what division of responsibility was established for. But that kind of gets lost in translation with social media. So what I really love here is the parallels between removing food morality in feeding kids and removing food morality in pursuing intuitive eating as adults. And I can see that Terry appreciated that as well. Thank you so much, Terry. I have definitely had very similar thoughts. Next up is Maggie Perkins, who owns the nutrition counseling practice Tomata, and she has two kids ages five and three. Hey, Diana, this is Maggie Perkins. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of the Messy Intersection podcast as a call-in. So about the division of responsibility. Well, first of all, I have two children. I have a two-year-old and I have a five-year-old. And my five-year-old is a uh, cautious eater. Um, he doesn't like trying new foods um, or is more hesitant than my two-year-old. Um, and so we do use the division of responsibility um, feeding, and um, and I think that works really well for us. So generally, I would say that I really like the division of responsibility, both from a professional standpoint, but also personally. I learned about it when my son was about six months old, and the perfect time to learn about it. I think that as a parent, and also even more so as a dietitian, I had a lot of pressure on myself 
to have my child eat a certain way. So I was glad to learn about this um, method so that there was less pressure on me and on him uh, to eat this certain way. Um, so how we use the division of responsibility is we do um, usually have structured meals and we also have no pressure around uh, you know what he eats. We let him decide, or both my children decide, how much and whether they're going to eat. And also we do incorporate some, you know, neutral exposures and kind of play time with food um, to expand his palate. Um, and just a lot of the body trust that goes into it, I think is really important for me and when feeding my children, knowing that they are able to get the nutrition that they need if I offer them um, a variety of foods. Um, the way we step outside of the division of responsibility, I focus on some deconstructed meals like a lasagna. I may pull out some of those ingredients and not put it in the main dish so that my children can uh, taste those things separately. Um, and then also we step outside of the structure of meals sometimes, and that probably happens you know, weekly. That's something that happens often. Um, just when my children see food um, that's available, like out on the counter or if we're at the grocery store and it's something they really like and they ask for it, oftentimes I will, you know, allow for that snack time, even if it's outside of our normal snack times. And then another way that we uh, step outside of the division responsibility is sometimes my husband and I will have like a date night in our home. And so we feed the kids and sit with them and have a meal. And then later on, we have um, a meal together um, that are different foods that uh, we didn't serve my children for dinner, which I think is important because it strengthens our relationship. Um, so I don't look at that as, you know, negative. So the division of the responsibility really works for my family, but I just keep in mind that it is a guideline and I try not to make anything too much of a rigid rule and listen to, you know, my children's needs. Um, and that's what I have to say about that. Thank you so much, Diana. Um, I can't wait to hear the podcast. Bye. Thank you, Maggie. So this is getting kind of interesting for me because when I had the idea for this podcast, I kind of thought the responses might be all over the map, but I am noticing a trend of people who mostly follow it, but take liberties that work specifically for their family, specifically with kids and snacks is a trend I'm noticing. And also when it comes to the adults enjoying the food that they want to enjoy uh, and not putting too much pressure on the kids for them to, you know, eat it or opt out, but not get another option, like still provide another option, which I think is really important because I am so big on kids feeling safe at the table. And if your kids are coming to the table over and over again and seeing, I'll just use the example of shrimp, because <laughs> that's what goes on in my house, seeing shrimp yet again, uh, I'm not sure that that cultivates that sense of safety for them. I know that with DOR, there's always supposed to be at least one safe food, uh, but you know, I'm always going to fall back on just how much I love food and the experience of dining with other people in general. And I believe there should be a lot of food for the kids to enjoy and the adults as well. Okay, enough about me again. Next up is Danny Lebovitz. Danny is the voice behind Kid Food Explorers, which creates resources for families to explore food with their kids. And she was also my guest on the Daniel Tiger episode of this show, where we explored how Daniel Tiger can help your kids develop a healthy relationship with food. Let's hear from Danny. Hi, 
Hi, this is Danny Lebovich, and I have three girls ages one, three, and five. And I actually learned about the division of responsibility when I was in my undergrad uh, program for nutrition. And I really like using DUR for some basic guidelines and uh, gentle principles for how to start feeding kids. Uh, I think it gives you uh, some structure and some ideas on where to get started. So I use DOR specifically to guide a meal schedule. So typically we have our breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner. Sometimes we also add a snack uh, between breakfast and lunch when needed. Um, but the ways that I don't use DOR is that I really focus on supporting my kids to help them become adventurous eaters. And I continue to offer food that they um, may not love yet, but um, I call what I do uh, supporting preferences versus catering. And so with DOR, typically it says that the parents get to decide what they are making for dinner. And I like to empower my kids by first offering them a couple options to choose from. It may be two, it may be three, better two if you don't want to have bites. Um, and then when it comes to the meal itself, for example, one of my kids is more of a vegetarian and one of my kids is definitely a carnivore. So whenever I am preparing a meal, I try and be thoughtful that I'm offering something uh, that incorporates foods that they feel comfortable or safe eating. I always offer something to the vegetarian child and the more of a carnivore child that they will accept. I always offer them both. And if they decide to eat all of it, great. And if they decide to eat none of it, that is their choice. So um, for me, DOR provides great structure and um, a loose guideline on how to feed families. And I, I want to say that I'm not catering to my child's preferences, but I'm being considerate of their uh, flavor, texture, and preference, preferential needs to ensure that they're getting enough of what feels safe for them to eat. So, um, yeah, that is what I do for my family. It's not a strict DOR, but it is uh, using the DOR framework with a lot of flexibility to support our tiny taste buds and, and grow adventurous eaters in between. Thank you, Danny. I love the way that she explained how she focuses on meeting her kids' needs. Next up is Rachel Rothman. She is a dietitian and the owner of Nutrition in Bloom, and she has two daughters, ages seven and five. Hi, this is Rachel Rothman calling, and I wanted to come here and share some of my thoughts on the division of responsibility. I am a pediatric dietitian and feeding expert with Nutrition in Bloom. I'm located in San Diego, California. And when it comes to DOR or division of responsibility, I find that the overarching framework can be helpful. So the kind of parents or caregivers provide and children decide how much and whether to eat. 
But I also think that there's a lot of nuances within this framework. And I don't feel like DOR really encompasses the whole feeding relationship in its entirety. I've also seen parents that have felt kind of confused about how to actually go about it. For my own family, when my kids were younger, so my kids are now seven and five, I I tended to follow the division of responsibility. But as they've gotten older, I have found that I have really adapted it to what works for us. I have found that for some families, and including my own, um, DOR can feel kind of rigid. And I have heard parents feel guilt or shame as to, well, why isn't this working? I'm doing what, you know, I'm supposed to. I'm following DOR. Why isn't it working? And even in my own home as a pediatric dietitian, when I have seen it not work, there's a, there's a piece that doesn't feel good about it. I think what's really important is to respect your child and yourself on where you are at. If DOR isn't sitting right, maybe some of the principles feel okay and some don't, and that's absolutely okay. There can be so much guilt and shame just surrounding parenting in general, and I find that feeding just brings this out in a whole new level. So I invite families to figure out what is and what isn't serving them. Um, I also just want to mention that I see this in a lot of families that have children that are extremely selective with their eating. And I find we've got to talk about more than just the division of responsibility. It's absolutely not for everybody. With my own kids that are now five and seven, we have found a balance. Um, If they're hungry and it's not mealtime, they eat. Uh, Most of the time for dinner, um, I typically decide what's on the menu or what I'm serving, but I definitely take their preferences and input into account. I want them to be able to make decisions and have some autonomy. Um, So we have been able to figure out a way to kind of modify DOR so it works for myself and my family. Thank you, Rachel. I think that is so important. I think, one, we have to revisit our definition of working, right? Is working supposed to be the kid eats everything under the sun? Or is working that we have peace during our mealtimes? Or whatever definition is right for your family. And then two, if what we're doing is causing guilt, shame, anxiety, Maybe we're not on the right track. Maybe we need to find a fit for our family that doesn't lead to those feelings. Now, I put the next two voicemails last because they tell a slightly different story than more or less what everyone else has shared so far. First up, we have Crystal Cargis, who is a dietitian. She is a mom of five and an intuitive eating coach and the owner of Crystal Cargis Nutrition. Hi, this is Crystal Cargis, and I am responding to this topic of the division of responsibility. And I just love that this is something that you're exploring, Diana. And I definitely can attest to how this has worked in my family. I'm a mama of five kiddos that range from ages four to 11. And, you know, I did stumble upon the division of responsibility when my younger kids were babies and toddlers. And you know, just as a little bit of background, I myself am in recovery and have recovered from an eating disorder. And so as a new mom, I was definitely scared about how my past issues around food and my body might impact my children. 
And so I stumbled upon SBOR as a way to just help kind of preserve their relationship with food. And what I found as we added more kids to our family and as our family grew is that there were definitely some aspects about it that weren't necessarily sustainable for us as a family and with all the different and various needs that my children had. The other thing that I found is that as someone with my history who, you know, definitely was stuck in a lot of food rules when I was struggling with my eating disorder, I found that it's easy to turn something like the division of responsibility into another type of rule or set of rules that we have to follow. And the problem with that is that it can inhibit us from building a responsive and trusting relationship with our kids when it comes to food. Because sometimes, inevitably, our children are just not going to fit into expectations around how we think they should be eating or how we think mealtime should be playing out. And that was something that I started to encounter as a mother. I also struggled with postpartum depression after my first three children. That was also just a wake-up call for me to understand that, you know, the feeding relationship and the way that I am able to feed my children also has to do with my capacity as a mother. And there's just some days where I didn't have the capacity to set up structured meal times and snack times. And, you know, we didn't really have the capacity to sit down together as a family on a lot of weeknights, especially when I was struggling with postpartum depression. And so, you know, I definitely think it's important to look at this topic and to challenge some of the expectations or rules that we kind of build around things that are intended to be helpful, like the division of responsibility. Um, I also have children who have ADHD and sensory challenges. And so the expectations that are sometimes created by the division of responsibility and the idea of sitting together for family meals and eating one meal together as a family is really not conducive for neurodivergent families or families whose children or parents just have different needs. And I think it's important to honor that in order to build more respectful and responsive associations with our kids when it comes to feeding them and engaging with our kids around food. And so I love that you're exploring this topic. And I think it's important to understand that as families, we can take what works for our kids and leave what doesn't work in order to build trust and connection with our children, which at the end of the day is most essential to helping our kids build a positive relationship with food. I so appreciate Crystal sharing that. We can take what works for our families and leave the rest. And it is so important in particular to look at how families with neurodivergent kids, neurodivergent parents might be influenced by positioning DOR as like the best practice. I see a lot of neurodivergent kids in my own private practice. I have ADHD myself. I don't think that my kids have any neurodivergence, but that could evolve as they get older and we learn more about them. Um, so definitely want to hold space for neurodivergent families here. And lastly, we have Una Hansen. Una is not a dietitian. She is a parent coach and a family mentor at Equip, which is an eating disorder treatment program. And she has two kids who are teenagers. Hi, Diana. This is Una Hansen. I'm a parent coach in private practice in Los Angeles, and I'm also a family mentor at Equip, which is an all-virtual eating disorder treatment program. 
And I'm so glad you're talking about the division of responsibility. I have a lot to say about it, um, but I'll focus on um, something that is very personal to me that might resonate with some of your listeners. So I'm a big fan of the division of responsibility. Um, And as with all things in parenting, it's more your mileage may vary than one size fits all. And in our case, the reason it doesn't fit our family, um, at least, you know, not in a you know really rigid way, and rigidity one of the risks of <laughs> division of responsibility to begin with. Um, but I had a child develop an eating disorder, um, really severe anorexia that resulted in um, you know hospitalization and a really really long and brutal recovery process. So in my house, unconditional permission to eat is our mantra <laughs> when it comes to food. And so a child or anyone in my house who's hungry, I am never going to say, no, you can't eat. Um, Now, if it's 10 minutes until a mealtime, I might let them know, hey, dinner or lunch is at this time. And it's totally up to them if they want to have a tide meal or snack or not. Um, But, you know, in my house, the kitchen's always open, (laughs) Um, even though my child's in really strong recovery it just really changed the way I related to people's hunger and desire for food. So I have a much more, um, I'm just, I celebrate when, when someone wants to eat. It's never a problem in my house. I really, really appreciate that, Una, that unconditional permission to eat is so important in eating disorder recovery. And honestly, as our kids get older, that is really important whether or not a kid is in recovery from an eating disorder. I'm recording this now when my own kids are four and six, but I don't really expect to be using division of responsibility at all a decade from now when they are teenagers. Um time will tell. I, uh, in the last episode, I shared my own story of growing up with a great relationship with food. And I don't especially remember my parents cracking down on when I could and couldn't eat uh, in my teen years. And that is something that I want to give to my kids as well. So thank you for listening. I uh, just love how this reminds me of an old school radio show. I even kind of liked how the audio quality on the voicemails made it very clear that they were uh, calling in from a phone. I hope you have gathered something valuable from this. I would like to know what you've gathered from this. Um, So you can uh, reach out in any way that works for you. Uh, One way is to contact me on social media. Another way would be to join the Raising Anti-Diet Kids Facebook group. There's a link to that in today's show notes. And uh, just as a reminder, again, I do have that brand new newsletter, The Anti-Diet Parent, and I would love for you to get on that list and basically join the conversation. I've shared a bunch of voices from feeding professionals here in this episode, but you, whoever you are, regardless of whether you're a feeding professional, I bet you have a take on this as well. And I would love to know what it is. So I would love to hear it. And thanks again for listening. Until next time, embrace the mess. Mm -hmm.